Today we're going to have opportunity for question and answers after the sermon, if you want to ask questions. Um, I'm quite comfortable thinking on my feet. I'm not pretending that I'll be able to answer all of your questions, just to say that at the start. If I don't know the answer, what I'll say is this, I don't know. And then I'll say, I'll try and find out for you. And um, so that's where we'll go um, with, today's, with today's sermon. So um, I'm going to pray, and what I'm going to pray and ask God to do is, is, is that God will give us the Holy Spirit so that as I preach, God will help me to communicate well in a way that brings life. And as you listen, that the Holy Spirit will be given to you in such a way that you're able to understand things. You see, the Bible says that naturally we don't get things of the Spirit. The Bible says the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit, that our spiritual faculty has been dulled by sin, that we, we, the Bible describes it as a, as a veil over our eyes. We don't get stuff, this is, which is why maybe if you've ever tried reading the Bible, if, maybe you're here and you're not a believer, or maybe if you are a believer but you can remember reading the Bible before, you're a believer, you read it, you think, I don't get it, doesn't really make much sense, what's the point? It just seems silly, it seems like a waste of, what's the big deal about? Well, you see, it's not, it's not an information, it's a revelation. It's God revealing himself. And so, only by the Holy Spirit can you understand spiritual truth. And so I'm going to ask that God will give you ears to hear what he's saying and a heart to understand. So, is that a good thing to pray? Yeah. Sure it is. Let's, let's do that. Father, we just thank you for the Holy Spirit and thank you for what he does. Thank you that he opens the eyes of our heart. Thank you that he brings revelation. Thank you that he helps us to understand where previously things would just seem stupid or would just bounce off of us or we would just, I don't get that. And so I want to pray, Holy Spirit, do your work today as we look to just glorify Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, do your work in people's lives. Open the eyes of people's hearts and minds, I pray. And I pray, Lord, you'd bring salvation today. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now we're doing a three-week series, Life After Death. And uh, week one we looked at who God is according to the Bible, how has God revealed himself in the Bible, what is the Christian God like, that he's eternal, that he's uncreated, that he's the beginning and the end, he has no beginning, has no end, that he knows all things, that he's in the farthest galaxy right now, as well as being here, that he's of a completely different order from you and me, that he's, not, um, he's unlimited, that he's um, in, um, totally sovereign in the sense that he doesn't have to answer to anyone, and yet totally good in, in, in a sense, completely alien from... Um, the corruption that we struggle with in our own hearts. He doesn't know any of that. He's totally consistent with the own commands. So the commands that he brings in terms of love and compassion and justice, he's totally consistent with that in and of himself. He's not a hypocrite. He doesn't say, do as I say, but not as I do. He does all that he says and all that he tells us to do. This is the God of the Bible, among many other things. And then I looked at what we are as people, what, what a person is, and made in the image of God for eternity, made for eternity, and death is unnatural, which is why we respond to death as we do, which is why we grieve at uh, funerals the way we do, even, even though we know we're going to die. It's the one thing we know about all of us, it's going to happen, and yet when it does, there's this sense of this isn't right, this shouldn't be, because death is ultimately unnatural and came in as a result of sin. It wasn't, um, it wasn't, just, it wasn't there from the beginning. And so we're looking at the inevitability of, of life after death out of that sermon. And then I wanted to give um, two weeks to heaven and hell, um, because I think they're concepts which are probably viewed uh, with scorn by a lot of people these days and seen as naive, unbelievable, etc., etc. So last week we looked at heaven. Um, what does the Bible mean when it talks about heaven? And this week we're going to look at hell. What does the Bible mean when, when it says hell? What, what, what's, what's being got at there? Is it literal? Is it just symbolic? Um, is it fair? Etc. So that's where we're going today. So if you were here and you weren't ready for it, you might be thinking, man, alive. What, what's, what is this place? <laughs> 
It's a pretty funny place, but um, um, basically, why even bother? Why even go there? Well, the hope of heaven is central to the Christian life. Paul says, if there is no resurrection, if there's no life after death, we are of all people to be pitied most. Why? Because a Christian makes a habit of saying no to the pleasures of sin. Okay? We make a habit of saying no to temptations to sin. Things which are pleasurable, but that we know they're wrong. If there's no future hope, if there's no future bliss with God, then really we've just spent our whole lives saying no to things that were temporarily enjoyable, and then we die. And on the way during that life of saying no to things, being opposed and slandered and, and um, called names by people, because I think we're stupid. Not much of a life, really. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, yeah, but hold on, being a Christian in this life is great. I mean, there's peace, there's reconciliation with God, there's forgiveness, there's, there's all those things. Yes, although if there is no resurrection from the dead, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and we're not going to live forever, then actually all those things are just a figment of your imagination anyway. It's just psychological. What you experience as a Christian in terms of benefit, it hangs on the physical resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. What you know of reconciliation with God, the peace of God and all those things, it's not simply psychological, it comes out of true gospel facts that Christ is alive and that he's been ascended to heaven, he's poured out his spirit and, we've been, um, and God's spirit lives in us so we know him. You see, so without this hope of the future, the whole thing's made up, it's all a joke. So it's a big deal to get to grips with and the hell thing is very, very important. And I think as we go through it today, you'll understand why. So we'll leave it there for now. Now remember last week we looked at Maximus in Gladiator, just before uh, the battle, they're about to, he's about to take his cavalry in to fight against the Germans, and he says to them, he says, what we do in this life echoes throughout eternity. Remember that quote? Very inspiring. And I think, to be honest, there's probably a universal understanding or belief that this is so. What we do in this life echoes throughout eternity, one way or another. What I mean is this, we all believe that what goes around comes around. Very often when people, things go on for people, the first thing they do is they say or think something like this, what have I done to deserve this? Or, I know what I've done to deserve this. They think that even in different religions you've got the karma thing, uh, just different way of thinking, but the karma basically, you know, you, you, you do enough bad things, you get bad karma things, bad things are going to happen your way, reincarnation, you live a bad life, you come back as a spider or whatever, you know, <laughs> you live a good life, you come back as... David Beckham, or I don't know, you know, but there's this kind of, it's this sense of, there's consequences, there's ramifications, you live a certain way, there will be repercussions. Even if you don't believe in life after death, then in this life what goes around comes around. It's a general understood thing. Christians believe that there are, that we are accountable, that we are responsible before God, that every single one of us would have to give an account, not of this person or that person, but give an account of ourselves before the throne of God. That's what we believe. There will be an actual day in history where the world ends and Jesus will return and everyone who's ever lived, the great and the small, will stand before him and give an account personally of their own life, what they have done. And it will be before the one who searches the heart. So there'll be no point building up a little, you know, oh, argue it that way, it'll work, okay, fine. No, he sees right into the heart. So it's a day un very unlike um, any other. And so it's, it's about preparing for that day. Are you ready for that day? I mean, I absolutely believe absolutely convinced that not only is it true but it's totally reasonable and makes sense I mean in this life we have the same thing you do wrong you go to court accountability responsibility you have to give an account for your, for your crimes you're found guilty or innocent it's, it's, that's, that's the way this world works without that there's no order it's lawless there's no order what is that a reflection of spiritual realities that there is a universal judge 
and it will all have to give an account to it. It's not unreasonable. It's not even a naive or fairy tale idea. We see it played out in life every day. So it's very important that we get to grips with this. The Bible is very coherent and upfront. It's about heaven and hell. Future bliss or future torment. Eternal bliss or eternal torment. Now what words are used in the Bible to define hell? One is Gehenna, which really means the Valley of Hinnon. In, in, in um, Israel in those days there was a valley called the Valley of Hinnon where really basically a lot of, of refuse and rubbish and stuff would be dumped and it would, and, and, but they would set light to it to get rid of it. So it was when Jesus spoke of hell, used the word Gehenna, he was speaking of the Valley of Hinnon and the picture it would conjure up was of this kind of all this worthless stuff had been thrown into this valley and then set on fire and it was constantly on fire. That was the way the, the valley worked. That's what it was for. They didn't have kind of incinerators like these days, but that's what they did in those days. That was one of the words that Jesus used to describe hell. Right, in Revelation, it's described as a lake of fire, lake of fire and brimstone that, that, that burns forever. It doesn't, doesn't burn for a while. It's an eternal thing. It's, a, uh, it's God's um, eternal judgment. Other terms described are outer darkness, sense of exclusion, exclusion from what, from the glory of God's um, brilliant, uh, radiant presence. It's no, you're, you're, you, you didn't want to know. You didn't want to know him. So that's where you go. It's the outer darkness. It's very sobering. It's very, very sobering. And in some ways it would be a lot less problematic to just not mention it. You know, you want to grow a church, you want people to come and you want people to be added to this thing, you're preaching on this. What? You know, why? It's, cra- it's a crazy idea. Well, I think at the end of the day, if it's real, the worst thing in the world you could ever possibly do to anyone is not mention it. It's crazy. It's a crazy thing. If, I mean, if I, you know, if I went on a holiday with my family and, and, and the holiday park just said, just to be aware, it's beautiful, it's great, but there's an area over there, just, you know, the, the railings aren't very high and it's quite a sheer drop. Just keep an eye on that. First thing I do, Right, kids, this is a great campsite, swimming pools there, watch that, okay? Take them to it, give them a sense of it. Look over, let their legs go, yeah? So that's what, yeah? Because I think, I I I don't want them down there. It's because I don't want them down there that I show them it. Yes, the Father's heart, I don't want, so look. (laughs) I think that's a bit, no, that's that's normal, I think that's, that's responsible parenthood. Likewise, you see, just to say, look, this is what the Bible teaches. And it never seems to feel the need to argue and prove it. it. Just this is the way it is. But I believe that it does make sense. It speaks of exclusion, and, it's, and, it, and also Jesus is clear in one of his parables. There's no way out. You can't just broker a deal once you're in there. Well, like, okay, I made, I made my mistakes. There's a chasm, a chasm. I don't know how you pronounce it. But it's fixed between heaven and between hell. No way out either way. So that's what we see there. Now this belief has become unpopular even in the church. And it leads to two responses, either Christians who say, I just don't believe in it, or Christians who say, I do believe in it, but I never mention it and never think about it. <laughs> I think, well, come on, we need to be a bit more robust than that and say, is this Christian doctrine? If so, then we need to be true to it and not just sidestep it and say, well, it's not very, you know, it doesn't work with this particular day we're living in at the moment. Say, <laughs> so, well, come on, let's, let's be robust. Let's, you're going to hit it head on with me today. That's where we're going to go. I mean, it's, why have people gone quiet on hell? A number of reasons. Some people just find it emotionally too difficult to live with. What a concept. I know of one Christian scholar, John Stott, very famous, amazing man of God. He says, but when it comes to this doctrine, I just can't believe in it. You think, why? What is it? He says, I just find it emotionally too difficult. I couldn't live with it. He says, I couldn't live with, the, the, with, with what 
the realities of what it means for, for those around me that have refused Jesus and are going to be there. And in some ways, I think, oh, I respect you for that. It's inconsistent, but I respect you because you're a very, it's a very human response. Isn't it? I mean, what Christian, the right man, would delight in thinking about it. And if there's any sense of that ever comes across from a Christian, I understand. Everyone runs a mile, I think this person's weird. This person's a sadist. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't, it's not something you delight in. You think, man, this is a... But nevertheless, I think we've got to say this is what the Bible teaches. Other reasons are this, maybe. It just seems cruel. It just seems harsh. Or it seems more medieval than 21st century. I mean, this is like Spanish Inquisition stuff. This is, why is this medieval? Or... Some people say, I thought Christianity was supposed to be about compassion and forgiveness. You're saying, eternal hell? How does that work? Or, how does this tally with the God of love? Well, let's hit that one for a minute, shall we? What does it mean when it says God is love? What does that mean? If you're going to understand, you need to understand what the Bible means by love. Because we have all these ideas of love, sentimental, romantic ideas. What does the Bible mean by love? Well, the Bible means this. Love, really, is the giving impulse. It's the impulse to give. And you can't deny that God has given in terms of the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him won't perish. Won't go to hell, but will have everlasting life. So God is the ultimate giver. He gives constantly. The Bible says he causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay, He just gives blessings of life. You find good people and wicked people enjoying holidays, food, clothing, family, friends. Okay, It's the generous blessing. It's the God who gives. His very nature is to overflow and to give. He is love. Absolutely God is love. But you know what as well? God is holy. God is holy. Now, do you know what holy means? Holy means if I've had a group of people and I get one and I put them over there, I've made that one holy. Why? Because he's not part, he's different, he's set apart, he's other. These, this is all together and this is different. And that's what it means. It means that God is totally different from his creation. He's completely transcendent. He's not like you and me. And I think this is one of our biggest problems with God. We assume he should be like us. We assume we should think like us and have the same standards as us and, and you know, and see things as we do. And you, people say things and they think, actually, you're just trying to say, why doesn't God see it like I see it? Well, because he's holy. Because he's set apart. Because he's not like us. He's different. In fact, the Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. You think, well, what's the big, why? Why I say it three times? Well, in the Hebrew language, there's no word for very or no word for really. So if someone's handsome, they're handsome, handsome. Yeah, you just did it, you just used the word twice. But what's unheard of is for the word to be used three times. And in the Bible you have this amazing vision where a man called Isaiah has a vision of the Lord seated on his throne and there's these creatures around the throne called seraphs, which means flaming ones. They're, I mean, they're holy. <laughs> they're like, man, they're different. Um, but they have six wings. And with two they cover their feet and with two they stay afloat and with two they cover their eyes. They don't even look on him and they're saying constantly, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. They're just overwhelmed. These holy creatures are overwhelmed with the thrice holy character of God. He's completely other. He's of a different order. You can't just say, well, why doesn't God see it like me? Because he's not like you. And as we go on today, I think you're going to become increasingly grateful that he's not like you as we work through today's sermon. <laughs> Don't be offended, please. I'm glad he's not like me, all right? So I'm not, I'm not, putting, I'm not saying I'm holy from you lot, okay? We're all the same. There'll be some confessions as we go on later. There were some people in the Bible who thought God was like them. Listen to what God says to them. 
This is God speaking, Psalm 50. You give your mouth free reign for evil. Your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you've done, and I've been silent. And you thought I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. See, there's people that were sinning and just assuming, well, God, no judgment's coming, everything's just carrying on, life's going fine. He's just like me. God says, well, mark this, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. It's the judgment of God. I'm not like you. I'm not like you. He's not like us. He's very, very different. God can't be mocked. God is love. He's not weak. He's not gullible. He's not sentimental. He's not pathetic. He's not the old man in the sky. You can't just, oh, I'm in trouble. I'll pray. Oh, I didn't answer. Oh, yeah. You, you can't. No. No. And you see people say, oh, I'll pray when I'm in trouble. You think, man, alive. This is like, you know, take it, take it down to just, just understand for a minute. That's like, that's like saying, I don't know. I'll ring the queen up when I'm in trouble. Well, I can't get through. What's up with her? It doesn't work like that. She may get in touch with you one day if you do something really great and offer you a hearing, an audience, in which case you scrub up. You know, I've seen the film The Queen. You know, I've seen that film. It's so funny when, um, you know, I've seen it? Great film. Watch it. Very, very insightful film. When Tony Blair first comes into office, he, he, him and Sherry have to go together and visit her. And Sherry, I don't know if she really is, but in this film she's portrayed as very anti-royal. And she's really giving it the large about the Queen. You know, blah, 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 blah. Suddenly they go into the Queen's room and she's like, Phew. yes, ma'am. She just changes it because she's suddenly aware she's in the presence of royalty. And there's just this weird thing, you know. I mean, it's just it's an interesting observation. How much more, how much more God must take this seriously? I think, to be honest with you, for most people, God's superiority is the problem. That's what gives us the problem. We aren't the centre, and yet we think we are. You see, we think we know what's fair and right. I've heard people say things like this. Hell is an outrageous idea. I could never believe in a God who would create such a place. Well, when we say that, what are we saying? We're subjecting God to our moral standard. We're saying, if God does that, it's totally unjust, it's totally unfair. You're saying, I decide what's right, I decide what's fair. Now this is bad enough because we're creatures and he's the creator, but it's made even worse by our inconsistency. Because we're hypocrites. I am. God convicts me of hypocrisy a lot. Trying to look spiritual. You know, you pray a prayer, what was that prayer about? You spent half of it thinking about how good it sounded. (laughs) Back to the drawing board. God does. We move goalposts, don't we? So this is right, this is wrong. An opportunity comes up, I think, oh, it's like, just, just shove it along a bit. Because it fits better with what I want now. That's what we do. That's what we are, that's what we're like. It's not pretend. We say things we don't mean for an easy life. To get ahead. We do. That's what we are. We think things that if they were ever to be projected onto this screen here, we would just run a mile and never want to see anyone again. I mean, honestly, I think there must have been times where I've, you know, passed, I walked down a street, and you're, you know, interrupted 10 minutes. I'm being <laughs> interrupted 10 minutes into an amazing fantasy where I'm basically Bruce Leeing everyone in the high street. <laughs> and suddenly someone from the church says, Hi, Steph. Oh, how are you doing? I think, 
Suddenly you realize, what am I doing? And he just didn't catch it. But I had a, someone had wound me up or something had gone on and I, you know, I was just, I was brutalizing everyone. And I think, oh, it's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. And other things, you think, God help me. God, I need mercy. <gasps> I need mercy. I don't need to be telling you how to run the universe. I need mercy. Because I gossip and slander and backstab and I do these things. What I'm not saying is that I do, these, I do these things as a believer and that's generally the pattern of the walk of my life. Thank God he's made me born again. He's changed the direction of my life. But I still struggle with, with those things. I still feel tempted to, to do those things. I still stumble and end up doing them sometimes. I need the blood of Jesus, the mercy of God today as much as I ever have. It's what we are. It's this, this reality of being human. We, we dishonor authority figures. We're double-minded. We're deceitful. We're full of lust. We're full of greed. We're full of pride. We're full of pride, man. Someone tells you you've done something wrong, bang, straight away. I've already got ammunition for what you've done wrong as well. It's what we're like. It's what we're like. And really, this scorns our efforts to make God look bad for making hell and also gives us an understanding of why he's made it. Let me read you a quote. I found this humorous and very insightful. What's wrong with the world? You are. Hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Despite the fact you are the crowning glory of the creation of God, created to live and bring glory and honour to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are instead hostile to all the one by whom and for whom you were created. That is what's wrong with the world. In short, sin is what's wrong with the world. Many of the students who want to engage me in conversation are first semester philosophy students, in brackets. As an aside, there ought to be a rule. You should never be able to talk about philosophy unless you've had more than a semester of philosophy. Anyone here doing philosophy? Okay, we can laugh about it. Right. <laughs> if you haven't had any, that's fine. You can talk all you want. But if you've had only a semester, you're messed up. You'd be better off not taking a philosophy course at all. These amateur philosophy students love to catch me alone and ask me standard questions such as, I just wanted to ask you, if you believe in God, in a God that is omnipotent and omnibenevolent, and if so, how do you reconcile those beliefs with the issue of theodicy? To which I respond, you just took a semester of philosophy, right? <laughs> well, yes. How did you know? Because if you hadn't, you'd have just said, if God's so powerful and so good, how comes bad stuff happens? <laughs> but I'm not going to answer the question until you ask it correctly. I worked on that all week. What do you mean, ask it correctly? You're not asking the question properly. What do you mean, ask the question properly? It's my question. You can't tell me how to ask my question, to which I patiently respond. I will answer your question when you ask it properly. When they're ready, I tell them how to ask that question properly. Here's how you should ask it. Look me in the eyes and ask me this. How on earth can a holy and righteous God know what I did and thought and said yesterday and not kill me in my sleep last night? Ask it that way and we can talk. But until you ask it that way, you do not understand the issue. Until you ask the question that way, you believe the problem is out there somewhere. Until you ask the question that way, you believe that there are some individuals who, in and of themselves, deserve something other than the wrath of Almighty God. When you ask me the question that way, when you say, why is it that we are here today? Why has he not consumed and devoured each and every one of us? Why, why, oh God, does your judgment and your wrath tarry? Then you truly understand the issue. The problem with the world is me. The problem is the fact that I do not acknowledge the supremacy of Christ in truth. The problem is that I start with myself as the measure of all things. I judge God based upon how well he carries out my agenda for the world and I believe in the supremacy of me in truth. As a result, I want a God who is omnipotent but not sovereign. If I have a God who is omnipotent but not sovereign, I can wield his power. 
But if my God is both omnipotent and sovereign, I am at his mercy. Who am I? I am the crowning glory of the creation of God, knit together in my mother's womb. Why am I here? I'm here to bring glory and honour to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is wrong with the world? Me. I don't do what I was meant to do. So what is God's response to us? We would imagine God would be itching to throw us into hell. If I was God, I would be. I realised that about myself the other day when um, I discovered that the guy who got stabbed on Oxford Street, the security guard who got stabbed for um, uh, throwing two youths out of his shop, he was doing his job, and then they came back in and stabbed him and he died. Well, I read in the Metro the other day that the security guard who got stabbed and killed was on bail and had a tag on for gang rape. And before I caught myself, I found myself thinking, guess what? He deserved it. That's what I found myself thinking. As soon as I discovered he was on bail for gang rape, I thought, well, he deserved that, didn't he? And then I caught myself. Because I realised I was delighting in the death of the wicked. And the Bible says that God in his holiness and in his perfection doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. In fact, every instance of hell in the Bible is used as a warning. Everyone. It's never God just laughing and saying, here we go, you get ready for this. Never. It's always warning, warning, warning. It's always the father taking the child over to the holiday camp and saying, look, don't, don't go near there. It's all it ever is. All the time it's Jesus saying, wake up. Wake up. This isn't games. This isn't a joke. This isn't some little thing you can play. You can't just create your own rules. Wake up. This is eternal reality that God has set in place. You can't wriggle your way out of it. You can't talk or charm your way out of it. You will be held to account before a God who is perfect and he'll want to know why you're not. And the answer is that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness. And until you cry out and ask God for forgiveness, which he will give you, which he's bursting to give you, you are under his wrath and condemnation. That's reality. And it's perfectly just because we kick against him every day with our thoughts, our words and our deeds. We break his laws all the time. What's his laws? Law number one, just two simple ones. Law number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. It's not too much to ask. He made us, he made us for him. He's simply saying, love me back. He's saying that. I'll decide if you exist, first of all, even though I know deep down you do, but I'll decide whether you do. And if I do, I might give you a bit. Or I'll just, I don't like that bit about you, I'll create my own little version. Rather than receiving the revelation, this is God. Second one, love your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself. How many times have you turned a blind eye to need? It's just too inconvenient. It's just too inconvenient. You need to be, you need to be because there's an opportunity for you there. If you're late, you're going to miss it. That's what we're like. That's where we are. We've got, I, 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 as I'm preparing this, I'm just aware, listen, God needs to be vindicated. He's slandered, he's kicked against, he's done down for all that he is, when the whole time, it's us that's the problem. He's fine. He's just absolutely fine. And so Jesus is saying, turn to me. Just get real. All you've got to do is admit you're a sinner. You know you are anyway. <laughs> a sinner is someone who breaks God's laws. If you're trying to tell me you love him with all your heart and you love your neighbour as yourself, then fine. But come on, we all know what we're like. Just say, I'm, I, I need forgiveness. What will he do if you do that? Will he suddenly just turn on you and judge you? No, he promises. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only that, to make us one of his children, to draw us back to himself. And so he's waiting with arms open wide. The devil will be thrown into hell. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. 
The fallen angels that followed him will be thrown into hell, guaranteed. The devil does not rule in hell. God rules in hell. The devil's not there with a pitchfork and a crown. No, he's being punished forever in hell, along with the angels that followed him. Okay? That's set. That's determined. End of story. They're not going to repent. What about us? We can know for sure we're going to heaven. You want to hear about that? Download last week's sermon. We can know for sure we've escaped. We're in. It's not, we're not, it's not waiting us anymore. We can know it for sure simply by just coming to God and saying, I want, to I want to follow you. I want to follow you because that's what's supposed to happen. You're the creator. It's all about you. You're the center. Just put your trust in Jesus. You say, well, how does that work? Listen, he died for you so you don't have to die. He was judged on the cross for you so you can escape God's judgment. Okay? It's what God's done for you. He was buried and then he rose again from the dead so you can be wrapped up in him and brought into his eternal life. He's done it for you. It's, it's not that salvation's cheap or that was a bit easy. No, it's terribly hard and a lot of work had to be done, but Jesus did the work. But just by us coming to Christ, we just receive mercy and we come into all the good that Jesus has won for us. I want to urge you. I want to urge you. This is the will of God for us. This is what he wants for us. Some people say, well, how can God choose some people to go to hell? No, no, no. Anyone who ends up in hell chose to be there. Because if you refuse mercy, you're choosing judgment. If you're in the dock and you get found guilty, and then someone offers you mercy, you say, no, thank you. You're basically saying, no, I want, to pay, I want the sentence. I want to pay the sentence. You choose judgment. So you're there because, you end up there because that's what you chose. Because God's, listen to this, this is in the Bible, that God says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long, God's saying, come on. What's the problem? Come to me. Come, I love you. I love you. You think, man. And you know, we can get this wrong. We can, we can begin to so say, let's just dole down the hell thing a bit and the holiness of God. Bring it down a bit. It's too far out of reach. Bring it down. And this sinfulness of man stuff, let's just bring it up. Let's bring, bring, and what we end up with is just a bit of self-help. We just bring these two parties together. I mean, it'll be fine. You know, just, yep, yeah, but it's just, it's nonsense. What is the gospel message? That God came down. He came down an unimaginably long way. <laughs> He became one of us. One of us. Went through all that we go through, tempted in every way, resisted, and then died for us so that he could then raise again, be, be raised again and take us with him back into the presence of the Father. He's come to rescue us. He's come to rescue us. Hallelujah, what a saviour. If you miss out, if you start to dole down God's holiness and our sinfulness, you miss the glory of it. And you no longer want to sing Amazing Grace, you start singing, I don't know, Satisfactory grace, or you did the, the, the all goes, the glory goes because you've, you've, you've doled down the message. No, listen, God came to us when we were kicking against Him. I want to just wrap things up. Really, just by saying this, listen. Our natural inclination, day to day life, is to vindicate ourselves, to justify ourselves. Since I've been married, I've discovered that more and more. A lot of our problems come from the fact, I would say, in marriage and in most marriages where you're just defending your corner. <laughs> and in the middle of an argument, you realise you're wrong, but you just keep going. Anyone ever done that? This thought drops into your mind halfway through. Flip. I think she's right. I'm too far gone now. <laughs> yeah. It's pride. It's pride. We vindicate ourselves. We vindicate. We vindicate. And we... And and then if we've got nothing, we can't think of anything else to say because we're totally in the wrong, we just storm off. <laughs> and you think, oh, you idiot. But we do that. And we vindicate ourselves because we worship ourselves. You see, we're made to worship. And so we worship something or the other. 
Atheists tend to, tend to worship the human intellect. You worship something. Worship's about devotion, commitment. It's about what you put first. So we tend to worship ourselves. So we vindicate ourselves. So we realize we do things wrong and we're not all we'd like to be, but we just create a framework that will allow for that. And any, any, anyone or any God who dares to say, man, you're, you're, you're going to get judged. You, you're, you know, you're under God's wrath. We just, we, we bat that one away straight. I'm not even there. I don't like it. It's not the point whether you like it or not. Is it true? Is it true? It is true. It's been revealed in the Bible. The Bible's God's word. Listen. For the believer, when Jesus returns, it's going to be the best day of their life. Because they're going to find themselves in heaven, even though they know they've done nothing to deserve it, but simply because they've been hidden in Jesus, who's good enough. It's going to be a day of celebration. This is, this is, this, in, the, in Revelation, it describes what it would be like for those who basically spend their life pushing down, suppressing the truth and just thinking, I don't know, I'll be fine, do it my way. When the angel opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became as black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks. Very ironic. Calling to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us. Fall on us. And hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? We would rather be buried alive than face him. Because he's awesome. Anyone in the Bible that's had a vision of God have just been completely undone on the spot. Completely undone. It's hard to describe one who you can't describe. It's just inexplainable, uncreated. But everyone, Isaiah just said, woe to me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, suddenly convicted of the ways his language. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, just totally undone. Ezekiel fell in his face like a dead man. Daniel, just all the blood drained from his face, had to go and lie down on his bed for days afterwards. His face with the glory of God. What will you say on that day? Because even if the mountains and rocks did fall on you, that wouldn't keep you safe because the Bible says that all those that have died, great and small, in the earth, under the earth, in the air, in the sea, will be given up to face the Lord. What will you say? I'll tell you what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is a sinking sand. All other ground is a sinking sand. That's what I will say. God will say, why should you let me into heaven? He wouldn't ask that. He knows why. But I'll tell him, Jesus, Jesus is good enough. And I put my trust in him. The Father's completely happy with the Son. Because I'm hidden in the Son, he'll accept me. He'll receive me. There's no condemnation that I dread. I don't dread or fear hell because I'm completely hidden in Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, we could do a number of things. We could just gather back into sing and praise, but I think I do just want to give five minutes if there are any questions about this subject that people want to ask, whether you're a believer or not, even if you're feeling very angry and hostile, that's not a problem, we can handle that, okay? But just to answer some of these things. I'm happy to think of my feet and we'll, and we'll go for it. So, are there any questions anyone's got about this subject? Ollie. Um, first, 
yeah, eternal life in the Bible. Jesus said, John 17, this is eternal life, that they know, that they know you and the one who sent me. And eternal life is just really, I guess it does refer to the longevity of that life, but life is, is about proximity to God. So the life even we have in the physical has come from God. Every breath is a gift from God. And so eternal life, fullness of life, is about proximity, closeness to his grace and to his mercy. So although it appears that hell will be conscious, that we will be conscious forever in hell. That's what the Bible seems to suggest. Um, um, it's eternal death. The Bible describes it as the second death. So we'd all go through the first death physically, but then, then, there's, then there's the matter of our spirit and where we spend eternity. So we're eternal beings. So we'll either spend it in eternal life with God or in eternity in hell. Seems to be the thrust of the Bible. I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's all tied up. There are some things, which, you know, some people argue, no, we'll just, after a certain time, we'll be annihilated. But I think, to be honest with you, that's just because the, the, the concept of someone being punished forever, you just think, I don't think anything actually in the Bible does seem to actually suggest that. But, you know, I can understand why people would, would do that. Someone else, is there something else? Yeah, it's a similar question. Like, everyone has sinned, but they've only sinned a, a finite amount because we've only yeah. lived a finite amount. Sure. So why does hell have to be eternal? I guess it's because we sin against an infinite God. So you understand, we tend to view our sins in terms of how much damage it's had here or there, and that's, that's part of it. But ultimately the sin is, 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 is that we are... It's, it's to do with... We can't ever see our, the seriousness of our sin until we see the holiness of God. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us to understand and grasp the measure of that. Because, um, although it, the Bible does seem to suggest there are measures of punishment in hell as well, interestingly. How that works, I'm not quite sure. Some people say sin is sin, it's all the same. No, it's not. The Bible's clear that it's not. It's not. Sin is sin, okay? And we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but there, there, are, there are degrees of punishment. So, yeah. When it talks about um, second death, like yeah. you've got first death and second death, yeah. first death is physical death and second death is spiritual death. Yes. An eternal annihilated. Sure. I understand what you're saying, and I wouldn't. Do you know what I mean? I don't think I would. Um, I don't think I'd sort of go to the stake over it. Do you know what I mean? I think you could potentially argue that someone would be, um, you know, wiped out. But I just, I think the, the terms used in the Bible. So the same word for everlasting life is used for everlasting destruction. It's the same Greek word, and so it seems to suggest. Um, Consciousness and awareness, and where, where, where it says there'll be gnashing of teeth and weeping, says so a sense of loss and regret, which speaks of consciousness rather than just unconsciousness. Do you see what I'm saying? So I guess either it goes on for a certain amount of time until God deems, okay, you've been punished, and I'm just going to annihilate you, or whether it just goes on forever. I guess there's, a, there's some room to manoeuvre there. Yeah. It's funny, I think, to be talking about, and we don't do this often, but I think, yeah. Pete. Yeah, Lazarus. It wouldn't. It would, I mean, yeah. I, it would, in some ways, it's always hard to, to create a concrete doctrine out of a parable, because a parable, it, by its nature, is just being used to illustrate something. So you, you, do you see what I'm saying? But it describes torment and a sense of regret, and 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 and, and um, the guy in hell says, "Can't someone just go back and, you know." Tell, tell, tell my brothers because I don't want them to. You know what I mean? So they can be. So they don't have to end up here. And and um, I think it's Abraham in the parable. I've forgotten who it is. Says like, even if someone goes back from the from the dead, if they haven't listened to the to the basic message, even someone appearing from the dead won't do the trick because there's a hardness of heart. So, 
yeah, there's some good content in there for that. Yeah. Davina. Purgatory. And yeah. Look at what do Catholics believe? The Catholics tend to be believe this: that um, that for when you become a Christian, your eternal guilt is atoned for, but there is a, a sense of temporary guilt for the things we do wrong in this life that that isn't atoned for through the cross, but that you have to go through an experience of purging, purge, purgatory after you die. And um, basically, there are according to Catholic beliefs, there are certain saints who live in such a godly way, they go straight to heaven. Others, they have to spend a bit of time in purgatory, um, being, going through a purification process until, until then they can get to heaven. And so really, purgatory, from a Catholic viewpoint, is somewhere positive to find yourself, because it means you'll end up in heaven. Okay? So it's not a nice experience, but at least you know if you're there, it's a different place from hell. Um, so that's what the Catholics teach. In terms of biblical basis for it, it it's thin on the ground. I think you could take one or two verses and just say, and, and argue a few things and, and get to somewhere. But I, I mean, personally, I, th I think that it's, it, they've developed a very strong doctrine around a few verses that could be taken either way. But that's the understanding for that. So, okay. Fiona. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sweet granny down the road, the person who's been good. Sure. Yes. Yes. I think you're absolutely right. How do you have... Yeah, yeah. It's a tricky one. The person, so you're Adolf Hitler and you, you know, your next door neighbour is really nice. You think Christians just say, what, they just both go to hell? I understand that. That can just seem totally unjust and totally doesn't correlate. Um, I think you probably just have to understand how this works two ways. It's not so much about what you... I guess we need, once we understand it, then we can communicate it. And the understanding is this. I think you're totally right. Ultimately, the biggest problem and the biggest sin is that you reject your creator. You say, ah, pff, do my own thing. That's, that's the biggest problem. And so even the person who is really great and really good... It, Fundamentally, it's not, that's not the starting point. You know, the starting point is your relationship with God, the one who made you. And so, and so that, is, that is enough justification, biblically, because you've rejected your maker. But I think that when it comes to... You mean the, I think when Christians in the past perhaps have said things like, well, sin is sin, da, 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 it's just given a lack of appreciation for the situation. Sin is sin, but sin isn't sin. Okay? So sin is sin, yes, but different sins are taught... Jesus, he'd have, the, he'd have the tax collectors and the prostitutes around him. You put someone self-righteous near him, he's exploding on them, okay? He hates hypocrisy. He hates hypocrisy. And to be honest, I think that's one of the biggest snares or traps for a Christian is, is this sense of self-righteousness and hypocrisy. I just think, man, you need to watch out and make sure you're really clear on this. And if you ever there's any sense of self-righteousness or anything in the way you communicate these things, you need to go right back to the drawing board and think this through. Hold on a minute. What, what's going on here? Someone once said, if you, you know, if you can't, you know, um, don't preach on hell unless, you can, unless, unless you're going to do, do so weeping. I can understand the sentiment there. You think, man, this, this isn't, you can't just be glib about this stuff. And so I do, I do think there is, you know, I guess on the one hand you want to say, no, of course you're not like Hitler. Of course, in, in some ways I imagine the punishment will be different. But look, I guess at the end of the day you say, why, why, why go there at all? Do you know what I mean? Why not just... Why not just receive God's offer of why not just why not just receive God's offer of mercy? And I think it's at that point you tend to hit the issue. They say, Well, I don't need it. 
I'm good enough. And you think, ah, there's the problem. Do you see what I mean? Lovely person, nice person, but actually the sense of, no, I'm all right as I am. And you think, we're not. And we need the Holy Spirit to, de- to reveal. I think, you know, most people think, a lot of people, those of you here that are Christians, before you became a Christian, who would have said it? Put your hand up if you thought you were all right, pretty decent. Those of you that are, are believers, and who would have said you thought you were okay? See, so the vast majority. You would have had a sense of, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not so bad. And you can, there's always someone worse to point to, isn't there? Always. Of course there is. Praise God. <laughs> Makes you feel good. There's always someone worse. You say, what about them? What about them? Yeah? But the Holy Spirit comes, and the Bible says he convicts us of our sin. And he makes us suddenly realize, man, alive. And I'm so aware of my sin now. Thank, thank God I'm aware of the cross as well, where the, sin, where the price was paid. But I'm so aware. When I, I say something a bit harsh, it just comes out and you think, oh, you know? And I think, I think now I've got the Holy Spirit in me, there's this awareness. But for those who don't, very often there's a sense of I'm all right. So I think we need to communicate that God doesn't see it the same. Okay? It's different from Hitler, and, yeah? But he does see it the same. And somehow just being able to walk that tightrope, I think, is the best we can do. But without the revelation of the Holy Spirit, I, I think it's going to come across unreasonable. I, th- I think we need to be full of grace and gentle in the way we talk about these things. I think otherwise people just think we're saying, why can't you just be like me? Then you can get to heaven. <laughs> and that's enough to wind anyone up, understandably. You know, we're not saying, that's not the message. The message is, look, we, I, I'm, I needed just as much mercy as you, if not more. So, Two more questions and more. So, In hell with him suffering. In hell as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, forever. Yeah, definitely. It's, 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 uh, someone once said, God created hell for Satan and the fallen angels. He created us to be with him forever, but we've, 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 we've rebelled against him, so. Ali. Are we um, aware of hell in heaven? Yes, we've all got hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it comes back to the proximity of God. I think in a weird sort of way, I mean, I had a revelation a few years ago where I suddenly realised, if God sent me to hell, if he did, it's going to sound a bit weird, but I, sometimes I'm, I think too much sometimes, but if God did, horrified though I'd be, because I know him, I know it would be right. I know it would be right decision. I know that it would be, I must have been a false convert then. I know it. Because I'm just, I know, I know God is just. Do you see what I mean? And I think in, in, in hell, I think everything will be overshadowed by a sense of God has vindicated his name and that's the most important thing. More important than me being here and having a great time forever, more important than so and so not being here is that God has actually finally been vindicated after millenniums of just being totally spurned against and derided and blasphemed. Finally, he's been vindicated. Hallelujah. And I think his vindication is seen in his mercy, but I think also his vindication is seen in his judgment. And I think, I think the awareness of that will overshadow other things. That's the best I could probably do. Um, I don't know if it's satisfa- satisfactory, but that's the best I can. I think we'll, there's just a sense of the perspective will be so different. So, okay, I think we've done questions for now. I'm really sorry. Otherwise, we could just be here. It's 12.04, and I just think it's ever so important that we just gather back and thank God for the cross. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> because without that, there's no hope. Without that, there's, see, there's no hope. None of us can make, find our way to God through enough meditation or good deeds. It's all woefully sad, but God came down, hallelujah, gave Jesus for us. So we can rejoice now. This is why we rejoice in him. Listen, if you, if you don't know the Lord, I just want to say this, if you don't know the Lord, and you think, okay, so look, 
Maybe, maybe you've even surprised yourself and you thought, actually, I, I want to I escape. And I want to know this God. And I can see now that he's right and I've been wrong. What do I do? Well, it's not so much what you do in a sense because it has been done. Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, it's been done. So Jesus on the cross, just before he died, he said it's finished. He meant that he paid the total price for our wrongdoing. So in many ways, it's just, it's just but what do you do though? You, you come to God and you repent. You say, Lord, I've been going my way and I've been proud and obstinate and I'm a sinner. I want you to forgive me and cleanse me. And I totally just trust in, what G, in Jesus. All that he's done for me is enough. And um, as you do that, the Bible says, as you just put your faith and your trust in Christ, God will just come and meet you and you'll be born again. You'll be different. And you get in the water, baptised, to demonstrate old life's gone, new life's here, and you just start a new life in Jesus. It happened to me 16 years ago when I was 18. Never been the same again. Still surprised. Because <laughs> I wasn't looking. But that, it's a miracle. And you'll become a walking miracle. So that's what you do. And after, after this service, if you may be here with a Christian friend or you want to come and chat to me or anyone about this and pray, we'll pray with you, we'll chat with you because it's the most glorious thing in the world to know Jesus. Let me assure you, there's nothing like knowing God, having a relationship with him, knowing the hostility is gone, all the bad feelings gone and every, everything that God had against me and his wrath has been paid at the cross. So just, it's just, just love and favour now. Hallelujah. Okay, should we sing and praise and thank him? Thanks for listening. It's been great.